So we're continuing our series, Show Me, and this week we're going to talk about Show Me Your Glory. And I wanted to start with just a couple of different quotes. This is from a Christian in China. His name is Brother Yan. He said, It's not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. George Eliot said, When God makes his presence felt through us, we're like the burning bush. Moses never took any heed to what sort of bush it is. He only saw the brightness of the Lord. And last, God's relationship with man does not work in a way in which man stumbles and then God has to drop what he's doing in order to lift him up. Rather, man stumbles so that God can lift him up. Hence, it is utterly impossible to truly diminish God's glory. The Old Testament word for glory is a word called kavod. And it probably doesn't mean what you think of when you think of glory, because it means weighty. It means something with substance, something that's heavy. Kavod. I mean, I love the words kavod. Something that's the kavod of the Lord. Something that's weighty, something that matters. Something to be taken seriously. The main New Testament word is a word called doxa in the Greek. And it probably does mean what you think of when you think of glory. It means magnificent, splendor, brightness, the glory of the Lord, the doxa of the Lord. And I like those two words because when you put them together, you've got the weightiness of God and you've got the splendor of God. Like what we see when we look at the moon and the stars and the sun, the splendor of God. John Piper said that the glory of God refers to his infinite and overflowing fullness in all that is good. And God has something to say about his glory too. He has a plan to reveal it in the prophet Habakkuk 2, verse 14. He says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 91 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Exodus 24, a few chapters ago in our passages that we've been going through, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to be with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And in verse 16 of Exodus 24, it says, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called for Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a raging, consuming, devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Israel's looking up at the top of Mount Sinai, and they're seeing this fire, and this, they're seeing God in the cloud, and it's awesome. And Moses is up there. God revealed his glory through the starlit vastness of the universe. He's revealed his glory through consuming fire. He's revealed his glory through blinding light. But you know the best and most complete way that he revealed his glory through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be with us. The king of glory. So when we say, show me your glory, amen, show me your glory indeed, Lord. Moses has it completely right. Our passage is in Exodus 33, beginning at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, look, you've been telling me to lead these people forward, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. Yet you've assured me, I know you by name and think highly of you. Now, if you think highly of me, show me your way so that I may know you and so that you may really approve of me. Remember, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, I'll go myself and I'll help you. Moses completely ignored him and said, if you won't go your... Oh. Moses. <laughs> it's true, though. Moses replied, if you won't go yourself, I'll go myself and I'll help you. Moses replied, if you won't go yourself, don't make us leave here, because how will anyone know that we have your special approval, both I and your people, unless you go with us? 
that distinguishes us, me and your people, from every other people on the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I'll do exactly what you've asked because you have my approval, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glorious presence. Show me your glory. The Lord said, I'll make all my goodness pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim before you the name, the Lord. I will be kind to whomever I wish to be kind, and I will have compassion to whomever I wish to be compassionate. But, the Lord said, you can't see my face, because no one can see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me where you will stand beside the rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll set you in a gap in the rock, in a cleft in the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you will see my back, and my face won't be visible. This is the word of God for us and all people this morning. Thanks be to God. So Moses needed to know, for his own sake, but also for the sake of the people, that God was going to be with them on this next leg of the journey. God had provided cloud and pillar and manna and quail for their journey from Egypt to this place. There were tangible signs of his presence. He was with them and they knew it. Would God continue to provide those kind of signs as they went on this next step of the journey? They were about to go in to try to take over the land and through the deserts. And is God going to be with us as we, as we have to fight these battles? So it's not really an unreasonable question to ask, Lord, are you going to be there? Not to mention in a passage just before our this morning in Exodus 33.3, God had said that his presence would not accompany the people, that he was going to send an angel instead. And the attitude of the people, as was pretty normal for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, wasn't great. They were looking at this land going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can go in there. I don't know if we can take possession of the land. It's not like, you know, there's no people already there. There's people there. We have to go in and we have to fight for what's ours, what's been given to us. God apparently has a change of heart, and we see in our passage, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses wanted something more. Moses wanted to see God's glory. And God allows that to happen. As he passes by, he shelters Moses in the cleft of a rock so that he could witness the, the passing by the Lord without seeing his face. Because to look upon the face of God is to die. He couldn't do it. He couldn't look on it and survive. But God is gracious and allowed Moses to see him. In the book Vertical Church, James McDonald invites us to remember some things about Moses, to remember who he is, because Moses is a lot like we are. Did you know that? Do you know that you're a lot like Moses? God says, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt. He says, I can't. He says, Sam, I want you to go to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> when he asks us to do something, our initial response is often, I can't. We feel like we're inadequate, that we're not up to the task, right? You want me to do what? I'll just talk about me. You want me to go preach? What? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what my life is? Where I come from? I can't do that. <coughs> I'm not equipped to do that. You want to use me in powerful ways? That's not me. That's somebody else, right? 
And, but even as Moses is, is arguing with God and confessing that I'm not adequate, that I, I don't have what you need to be used by you, God is, is showing him miraculous signs and taking care of, of that. He, he, he sends signs into Egypt to convince the people. He sends Aaron to speak for him. But most of all, God sent himself. God gave himself to us. To Moses. And that's his greatest provision for us. When we're feeling that sense of inadequacy, when we're, when, when we're not sure of, of what we're to do, God said, simply and profoundly sends his presence with us. To Moses, Moses says, I can't go. I, 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 don't, I, don't have, I don't speak well. I don't have what you need for me. You know, they're not going to listen to me. But God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Yeah, but then what, what are we going to do even if, you know, even if they come? He says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the land of Egypt. Moses, you don't have to because I'm going to do it. But I, you know, I, I stutter and I don't talk well. I will be your mouth. The answer to our persistent resistance, because we have persistent resistance in our lives when God asks us to step, and we say, I can't. It's not that God said, Moses, yes, you can. He didn't suddenly say, don't worry about it, you can do it. He said, I can. I will. Because I am. Maybe you need to hear that this morning, because God's telling some of us in this room at least. He can. And he will. Because he is. Grab hold of that. One of the co-founders of Willow Creek Community Church wrote in a book called Unexplainable, God wants to do the inconceivable, the uncommon, the unexpected, the remarkable, the incomprehensible, so that he, God, is the only explanation for what occurs in our lives. See, when it's not possible, when it's not possible, God gets to glory. We take glory when we think we can do it without it. We forget to give it to him. But when it's just not possible, there's no other explanation. So Moses says, show me your glory. And as he says that it can show us a path to becoming more effective as Christians. And it's not that you or I can move someone's heart because we can't. God is the mover of someone's hearts. It may seem arrogant to even ask God, show me your glory. But in reality, all we're doing is we're asking God to take ineffective, ill-equipped, inadequate people you and I, and use us in ways that we are incapable of. And when he touches someone's heart through our lives or through our intervention or through something that he uses us in a powerful way, it brings glory to him because it is impossible. Because we can't. I can't. And God tells me I can. I will. Because I am. This is true for everything that we do in the church. When we allow God to reach past what we think is our own effectiveness, then it changes all the dynamics in the church, from our ministry efforts to our worship service. See, the, you know the main thing that makes the church worth shouting about? It's God's glory. It's His presence coming into that place. 
It's God showing up. Good preaching, um, great music is nothing without God breathing into them, without God's presence moving through them so that their hearts can be touched. And that's whether we're a mega church or whether we're a small church like us. Doesn't matter. It's God breathing in us and through us. Now, it's hard to achieve because it also means that we need less of us and more of Him. And most churches don't want to do that, really. I mean, we want more of us. I read this week that growing churches are dying churches, and I was like, how does that work? And what the author meant was that growing churches are churches that are willing to die to themselves, but churches where the people are willing to go, okay, I may not like that. That may not agree with me, but if it's, for, if it's going to further the kingdom, then I'm willing to give it a shot. And in that sense, growing churches are dying churches, because the people are willing to die to stuff, pick up your cross daily and follow me, right? That's what we're called to. McDonald would ask us some questions that I thought were worth looking at. One is, is it my work, or is it God's? When we look at our ministry here and we look at what we're doing, is it my work or is it God? When you look at your personal life and the ministry efforts that, that you have, am I, am I doing it just for my own recognition? Am I doing it so that God would be glorified? Sometimes we do stuff out of obedience. I get that. But we periodically need to evaluate who's it for. Am I the one pulling this off because I have this great training and this great experience? Or is it the, the fruit I see the work done by God? Is God in me? Is the lack of lasting fruit a concern? See, because if it's about us, it's not about God. Those two things don't go together. It can't be about me and, and, and about God. If it's about us, it's about us. If it's about God, it's about God. Please show me your glory, Lord. Please fall into this place upon us as a people. In code, heavily, with weight. Show us your glory. Moses was absolutely right when he went to God. He said, Lord, show me your glorious presence. Show me your glory. But he wasn't prepared. He thought, well, that's not a big deal. But God, because God is bigger than our understanding. God is bigger than Moses' understanding. So it's kind of, okay, I will, but stand back. Moses, because we got to do something here. I need you to go over there by the wall. Go over, go over there in the corner where that cleft is. And I need you to go on in there. Because if you look at my face, you die. Brace yourself. The glory of the Lord is going to shine upon you. And he did it. It's what we should all want is the glory of the Lord to shine upon us. The glory of the Lord is simply a manifestation of God's presence in our lives and in our ministries, working through us. We are, and we all need more of God's presence in our lives. I do, you do. This is, a, this is universal for us as believers. We need more of God in our lives. You can think of it kind of this way. As heat is to fire, glory is to God. Light a fire, put your hand in it. A bed is hot. As wet as the water, Glory is to God. Glory is what emanates from God. You can't separate glory from God. God is glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's what glory is. The supernatural signature of where God is. 
of where God has been at work, where He writes His name. And in places where God is, you find folks who put the needs of the lost above their own comfort. You find a spirit of cooperation and encouragement. You find folks working through conflicts. You see humility in the actions, words, and the spirits of those who are in such places where God has fallen and fallen with power and fallen with strength. And I've been in places like that. And it's amazing when that happens. And that can be that place. God wants to fall powerfully. God wants to work through his people. Humility is critical for us to be effective Christians. <clears throat> got a lot of quotes this morning. This one's from C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> because God and you are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any touch with him at all, you will, in fact, be humble. Delightedly humble. Feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of of all that silly nonsense about your own dignity which made you restless and unhappy your whole life. You ever fight for your passion? I have the right. God's trying to make you humble in order to make that moment possible. Trying to get you to take off a lot of silly, ugly fancy dress in which we have all got ourselves up in and are strutting around like the little idiots that we are. Now, Mr. Lewis is a bit more direct <laughs> than I would be, but the truth is that when we understand that God is transcendent, that God is wholly other, perhaps it will open the door to humility that each of us needs in our lives. We all need to be able to, to walk through the door of humility in order to be of greatest use for God, to get ourselves out of the way, to allow Him. He's gifted each of us. He's called each of us to ministry in, in our worlds. Wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you are in your personal life, he's called each of us to ministry in those places. Sometimes we just need a little bit of humility to be able to step aside and allow him to work through us, because he wants to. And sometimes that means immediate action. I know I tend to be a leap before you look kind of person, and that's not, not always the best way to be. In our case today, it's a good example of not being a leap before you look. See, Moses didn't start moving the people immediately. See, often when we think God commanding something, God told him to take them. Well, God said it, so that means we've got to get on it and do it exactly right now. And so let's go do it. And he said go, so we go. No questions, no delays. God spoke, so God's going to make it happen right now. But in our passage today, God tells Moses to take the people, but Moses doesn't go. Instead, he takes the time to prepare the people for what they were going into. And I know there's a fine line between constantly seeking preparation. I mean, if we even get prepared for 20 years, maybe it's time to go. But if you got a message yesterday, maybe it's time to prepare. That's part of the discernment process. Moses took nearly a year to get them ready. And with God's direction, he focused on building the religious and the military infrastructures that they would need to make that next leg of the journey possible. The call to get going was, a, was at first a call to be prepared, so they were prepared. And each of us in here are called, but we're at different stages in responding to it. Some of us may be settled. We May, may like where we're at and we're not really ready to consider a call to something new. May, we may be doing the thing that God has 
called us to do, and we're in, that, in a good place. Others may have received a call from God, and it unsettled them, and, and they were uncertain, and they said, really, is that, is that really God? God, is that really you? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. So they need some assurance that it is from God. So they can trust God to be with them when they go through it. And you're in good company. Remember Moses. Really? God, you want to send me? And he had excuse after excuse. And it took time to prepare. Others understand a call to do something different often entails a call to prepare. And you may be at the edge of that preparation, maybe in the middle of it. And, and the moment of action is coming closer. We're all at different stages. Congregations also find themselves at a place needing to discern a new calling or wondering what to do with the old calling. And that's kind of where we're at here. We're kind of looking at, okay, where, where is it that you're calling us to? What is it that you, you would have us to become? And that's not, the answer to that is not completely clear. I know that to remain the same means dying, and I know, because I've talked to enough folks, that we don't, it's not a goal of ours. But what is it? Where is it that God is calling us? We'll be working on that going forward. Where is it that God is calling us? The great news, the great news, as we ask God, show me your glory, he will help us to understand where we need to go. God knows what needs to happen. And I trust him to walk with us as we walk into that future. Here's the thing, though. Whether individually or as a congregation, disciples wrestle with their calling. Every, I think I can actually say every disciple, every Christian that I know has wrestled with God's calling when he's called to do something. So if you're wrestling, you're in good company. It's okay. Congregations wrestle as well. But disciples also do what's needed to take the next step in ministry. Not in their own power, but in the power of Christ. And we do this so that God can be glorified. And we certainly join with Moses and ask God, show me your glory. I won't settle for ordinary 